0: Before we start this week's podcast, I just want to take a moment to congratulate everybody who was involved in the most recent ICCA and ICHSA quarterfinal rounds through Varsity Vocals. Everyone at Varsity Vocals, Amanda Newman, all the way down to all the judges, everyone, all the producers that put on all of the live streams, even with technical difficulties, shout outs to all of you and to every single performer and group who put together a video The talent is just phenomenal, and it was amazing to see all this great work put together, and I congratulate all of the winners, all the individual awards that were given out, all the groups moving on to the semifinals, but just everybody in general who took part in this, you deserve all the congratulations in the world. You took something, and you made it beautiful, so kudos to all of you. Let's take it away, Michael.
1: On this episode of the AKA Education Podcast, Justin speaks with Dr. Jason Tram, Director of Choral Activities at Seton Hall University. Jason discusses the changes he's seen in the performance world over the last year due to the COVID nineteen pandemic. Let's get ready. It's time for some AKA Education. It's the- How to Glory. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Education Podcast. Arca Education Podcast. Arca Education Podcast. With, with, who? with Justin Glodish. Hey, everybody, it's Justin Glodish with episode 32 of the Aka Education Podcast. This week with me, I have the director of choral activities at Seton Hall, Dr. Jason Tram. He's also the host of his own podcast called Music Matters. And it's a podcast that actually is focusing on everything that is going around in the world right now with COVID and how it's affecting musicians within the industry. Dr. Tram, Dr. Jason Tram, or just Jason Tram, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast.
1: Justin, thank you so much. It's great to be here today, and uh, congratulations on all your success. You've had such wonderful guests. I'm humbled to be here today.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for taking part, and I'm actually looking forward to being a part of your podcast uh, later on. I'm, I'm really excited about Can't that. Can't wait to, be to a have you next
1: month, and we'll have so much to discuss, and uh, as we're all going about our jobs and educating the, the people we're given charge to educate and doing the best we can to bring music to people's lives in these challenging times.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of the things, um, one of the reasons why I brought you on the show is that you have a unique perspective as, you know, the college professor. So, um, you know, many of my um, guests have been mostly acapella, you know, enthusiasts or people who are involved in the business. I've also had educators from the elementary level, middle school, high school level. But you are, um, you know, in the college realm where you're actually getting students who are like the the 1%, you know, the, the students who decide to pursue music as a career, as opposed to maybe the elementary school teacher who's teaching music to all kids to really get them to that level, to the middle school, to the high school, and then on to you. So I wanted your perspective on how COVID has kind of hit you uh in terms of you know maybe your participation within your ensembles and how it, it's affecting uh college life um at seton hall oh boy
1: well that's uh the, the we're all dealing with this uh in our own way and um uh, you know so for my from my in my specific situation my two choirs my university choir and my chamber choir are both remote this semester and mm-hmm. i also do my university orchestra which is also remote this year um I'm only only on campus this semester and last semester to teach a lecture course, uh, Music and uh, Civilization, which is a a survey of Western music. And um, I'm in front of usually between six and eight students of my 37, the rest are all on the screens. So Mm -hmm. adjusting to reality, uh, making music via Zoom has been a real learning curve for me and for everyone really. Um, around last March when everything hit, um, I had an incredibly busy spring plan. I was supposed to be making my conducting debut with an orchestra in Vienna and Prague and doing an opera festival in Italy. I do a lot of other things with I'm not teaching. My, my scholarship is conducting, so I mm-hmm. guess conduct quite a bit and in different circumstances, which I love. And, um, you know, after I'm done teaching for the semester, I just, I do lots of other things and then I come back recharged, ready to bring that to my students. And all of that, of course, turned to nothing. So, mm-hmm. We had to cancel all the plans. and and um, then I had to re- we all have to go through this kind of um, philosophy of why do we do this? Because we're not doing it for the performance. We're not getting that performance rush that we all love because at heart, we love to perform. We love to share that with our students. So it really becomes about the pedagogy and really saying, why do we teach music? Why do we engage with music? Why is choir music important? How can we bring this love and these in these challenging times? How can we share what we love with our students and keep our communities together? That's really right. the most important thing is this period is all about keeping our communities together, and then bringing the joy of music to people, however, we can. Right. So, I struggled with how to um, engage choir rehearsals via Zoom um, because of obvious limitations. Right. But I think I can work with them, but they can't hear me. And I, they can hear me, but I can't hear them, which mm-hmm. is really strange. Like yes. so. And, they, they, and We did lots of virtual choir projects. I have two choral societies and I got to experiment with my two choral societies before. And then I had a whole summer of, uh, I'm the music director at a, a summer program called Ocean Grove, where I've got a huge choral program all summer. And um, I did 20 virtual choir projects with my son oh, wow. who does the editing. We were doing weekly choir anthems that were broadcast out for over 2000 people every week. So we would get People from Australia participating. We got people from all over who, uh, well, the interesting thing was that people could participate from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we got some interesting people who I'd never met before. I would have them submit the files via WeTransfer. And then I got this uh, email from someone from India that said, This is not allowed in our country. I'm like, Whoa. Oh. I wow. so had to find another way to deliver the files and you know things i never thought i would have to learn um mm-hmm. in my mid i just turned 46 i never thought <laughs> i'd have to learn all this technology like how to make music uh, i've been doing rehearsals now for 25 years from professional mm-hmm. conducting and I've d- i had to reteach myself what it means to be a conductor
0: now Yeah. And I I think that goes without saying that that's pretty much all of us. The reteaching and the relearning of um, or learning for the first time a lot of this this new technology. Um, You know, you've made mention of being able to work with your students in a remote setting but not being able to hear them because of you know technological limitations in terms of lag um you know or um wi-fi strength or whatever it may be that you know your students might be a split second off from each other and it's just it's a cacophony of chaos i mean i have sixth grade chorus kids and i i can tell you we've we've tried it just to hey let's see what this sounds like and. The, it turns into like giggle fits because it's like, it's, oh my gosh, that's like really yikes. We but call but it it's whack-a-mole.
1: You have to play, yeah. mute,
0: mute, mute. Someone
1: <laughs> forgets uh-huh. to mute, it. the whole thing falls apart.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and you even mentioned, you know, the the fact that you were able to put together, you know, twenty plus virtual choir videos over the summer, and you know, work with all of these different groups that you do. You're still, you're a busy man. You know, like that, it blows my mind. Like, how are you able to still? control and maintain everything that you do with the limitations that we have because I know of a lot of friends and colleagues who um you know we lost our at least in our high school we lost out our high school musical um you know summer camps and summer programs either went full remote or um, didn't exist this year you know so how are you able to maintain all that and still keep yourself busy
1: I've always had a very active performing schedule. Um, at, at the At the university level, my, they always consider my scholarship. I'm a creative track professor, so I'm expected to be out there in the trenches making music. So I was doing choir tours. I was doing orchestra tours. Um, I guest conduct quite a bit, and I was doing opera tours. I would run. I would teach a course, hop on the plane to Newark Airport, which is 20 minutes from my university. Hit Florida, conduct an opera, do through a weekend of operas, fly back, teach my course, go back down, do an opera, go to Chicago. So I, I was doing quite a lot of that for the last. Stove. 20 years. And Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just uh, thrive on musical diversity. What I learn in the professional world, I bring back to my students. And uh, I'm so excited to share that because every time I'm in front of an orchestra or an opera company or a symphony, I learn something new. Mm -hmm. So I just love to learn. I love to kind of engage with new music. And I'm used to having a stack of music next to my desk that I have to conduct, be it an opera, symphonies, choral pieces, pieces I'm commissioning with my summer festival, and I get to work with great composers. That's always a real joy of mine is engaging with composers and getting Mm -hmm. to know them on a musical and a personal level and then making the music come to life. And all of that just kind of melted away. So I'm like, now what? So I have all this time I've never had before. So I I cleaned up my whole backyard. I did all the leaves with my kids. And and there was only so much backyard to go. And that took us a month. And now I'm like, well, now what? Now we we started having campfires. That was fun. Now we're like, okay. Got to be something creative about this. So I, I came back at it, and then the podcast, my music matters, has become for me a conversation that I'd be having anyway with my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd sit down over a coffee, a lunch, or a beer, and we would just talk about music in life. And that's where I've done most of my learning is with great colleagues and um, people who I work with. And and that's like you know that's what we do, teachers and educators. We get together and we talk shop. Right. And I said, well. And I had it came with why, why am I doing this? And it was like looking for musical innovations and self discoveries in this unique time period because this has never happened in any of our lifetimes. The last, mm-hmm. um, give you an example: the Metropolitan Opera has never closed for more than two days in a row in the history mm-hmm. of the, the of the institution. Yeah. So what we're in right now is never happened before. Since mm-hmm. the 1890s. Right. So we're talking about something that is incredibly new. Even they didn't cancel a single performance of the Spanish flu. Hmm. That's,
0: <laughs> that's mind-blowing.
1: So our society is, we're doing something, we're living through, the, you know, completely original times. So there's no playbook. We're all going through it and we're all kind of feeling the growing pains. And every podcast I've had 105 now, I've learned something. I've learned something about innovation, about and, and I've, I've, um, I, have a, I love different types of music. So I said, hmm, what if I start with the opera and the choral and the, the, the educators and the scholars, and I branch into contemporary music? I have rock people, indie rock bands. I've had a couple of rap artists and just people I wouldn't expect. And, and I, I find out how incredibly they're innovating, too. So it's just um, across, across the entire music industry, there's so much we can learn from each other.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you bring up a great point in the fact that you're continually learning, you know, you, you have, you're a Potsdam grad, you know, go bears, you know, I'm a Potsdam grad too, you know, Hart. I also went to Hart, Hartford. Um, but you also, you know, Rutgers university, you know, you are, you know, well educated, but we're always learning. We're lifelong learners. And,
1: and that's, uh, whether it's, um, these days, even when I'm not doing music, I love to watch documentaries. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we, we want to model for our children, that you're never, the students we have, whether it's, you know, I started teaching, I taught middle school, I taught high school for six years. So I spent six years in the public schools and I learned how to become a professional educator. I mm-hmm. learned how to really, you know, find lesson plans, tune them, you know, uh, break down pedagogy. That's where I learned Most of what I took to the opera world with me was how to run a very effective rehearsal, how -hmm. to be a professional, how to move things along when you need to, and um, you know the learning part is the fun part. I mean, you Mm -hmm. never get there. It's it's. um, I love the story of Pablo Casals in his eighties playing the cello, and he's like, like, why, sir, why, why do you practice four hours a day? He goes, because I think I'm getting better.
0: It's true. It's true. You know, you, you are continually working to be the best version of yourself that you can be, you know, and every day is a new day to continue that. And, you know, I want to kind of go into some of the perspectives that you've gained from the podcast. You know, you said you started with just the opera world, you, and then you, in the choral world, and then you branched out into different, you know, parts of the music industry, but the music industry is still music you know and the title of your podcast is music matters so i'm curious um have you found a lot of similarities in terms of say the rock musician having the same difficulties and struggles or positives as the the composers or as um you know some of the people in within the opera community are you finding it very yeah, similar yes certainly
1: i mean i mean, so, so the um the perf- live performing music is all the same it's all on pause mm-hmm right the the rock venues are not producing rock it's not the time to be doing that right now the opera houses are closed i've had a couple very famous singers in europe closed right now i mean these things will open again we know that but it's right now everyone is it's interesting you see that Many places in the world are approaching it differently. So, for example, one of the tenors I was talking to—he's um, a—he's in Hanover Opera. He's a full-time employee. He's like a government employee. They're like the mailman over there, and yep. they get—they're—they're they're on full-time salaries with benefits. And um, even though they're not allowed to perform, they're still rehearsing full time. Mm-hmm. So they're, right. they're rehearsing so that the plan is that when the op when the, they're allowed to open, they're going to perform these pieces. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that with some of the houses. Some of the houses are completely closed. Um, but you know, it's, um, we're starting to see the East open up. I know mm-hmm. Australia is doing quite, I've had an Australian conductor on who's, who's planning a full season and they're doing limited capacity and China has got full audiences again, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I believe New Zealand
0: is also the same. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of you know, video footage of, you know, concerts being, and not just, not just like opera houses or anything like that, but like full on, you know, concerts like rock bands mm-hmm. having, um, because New Zealand was able to, to mitigate, um, the spread and really kind of bring it down to, to zero. Um, it's a very different, different case over here, obviously, but, you know, um, in New York state, at least, you know, there's been talk about this new, um, this new push to bring live music, um, into outdoor venues with limited capacity. I mean, the governor, you know. Ended up, you know, allowing people to go to the Buffalo Bills playoff football game, you know, limited capacity, you know, but there's a lot of restrictions that are being tied to it. Too. I and keep I saying,
1: so we can play basketball, like my college can play basketball, but I can't have choir. Uh, I, I don't, when I, when we're six feet apart with masks on, I'm not playing defense against someone.
0: You are preaching. To <laughs> and I saw the you choir. post something
1: very similar on social media, and I'm like, I gotta watch myself. I can't. <laughs> No, this is, uh,
0: this, that's definitely a discussion for another day, but I will leave it at this, that, um, I do agree. Um, I, I find that, you know, high risk sports, you know, watching players in the NFL players in major league baseball going through this, you know, having to like, I'm a huge Miami Marlins fan. I mean, and they were the team that everyone was like, of course it's the Marlins when it first happened. And like 17 or 18 of those players, you know, tested positive And they had to sit in a Philadelphia hotel room for 13 days, you know, quarantining. And then they picked up guys off the street to kind of, I, I know this isn't a sports podcast, but like the, what the, the idea is, is that these professional ballplayers, these professional musicians or professionals have been able to continue what they wanted to do. And we're really doing a disservice to our students and our children by not giving them these opportunities to be able to perform and rehearse. All right. And and for many embarrass- students,
1: many students, music and also sports are the way for them to excel. And maybe mm-hmm. it's the only place where they can excel, where they can be themselves, where they can. Right. I mean, that that's me in a nutshell when I was in high school, I, I swam as well. I was on a swim team, but but it was music where I found my voice. And I said, mm-hmm. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I have not looked back. And um, for anyone, and just know, for anyone who wants to engage with something beautiful, we, we've missed, we've lost so much. And yeah. music really has the chance to heal people, let them be expressive, let them, uh, let them emote and be part of something special that that everyone's welcome. And we, mm-hmm. we've lost a lot this year, and the students yeah. have lost a lot.
0: And I won't get into the debate between, you know, music and sports, because I know that people have, you know, debates about that. But the biggest thing is, is that those things... They are important to our students, and they all both of them bring personal connections. And I mean, when this airs, this is it will actually have been over a year since you know, the schools had shut down, you know, we're talking um, a year of, of this and what it does to someone's, you know, personal psyche or their mental health or their mental awareness, you know, not being told you can't hang out with your friends or be with your friends or play, you know, sports or perform live with your friends is, is devastating, especially, you know, for the students that I teach in middle school, the college students who are, you know, trying to pursue this as a career, even the younger ones, you know, my, my five-year-old still doesn't understand why he only goes to school in the building two or three days a week, as opposed to, and has to be on the computer the other two days. And it's, it's a very difficult situation to try and navigate. And like you said, this is something all of us have never experienced. And and
1: it's just as bad for the teachers, right? It's just as difficult for the teachers. I think, Mm -hmm. I think all of society is going to grapple with this for the next generation, I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is going to be with us. The depression, the, um, the the challenges, the issues. I mean, of course, the economic implications. Music was destroyed disproportionately in this. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. just just destroyed. I yeah. cannot tell you how many of my fellow colleagues or um, have really struggled, and it's um, you know it's going to take. And when we do come back, we're going to see a, a very different industry. It's going to be very different than when we started this.
0: I'm, I'm very optimistic in the fact that, you know, once everything is okay, that people will participate in droves, you know, like, like, community because they want that connection, that they want that community, they want to be a part of it, you know, and I, that is my hope that once the dust settles, that, you know, everything will be stronger than it was before all of this happened.
1: And people so. want to engage with music even more. And um, I, I think the community organizations would be the first to come back. The schools and the community organizations are the first to return. Uh, church choirs, temple choirs, religious uh, music, public schools, certainly um, community ensembles. The professional world is going to be a very interesting watch. I mean, it's going to see, see how the ripple effect is going to affect. I mean, you're seeing the Metropolitan Opera renegotiating contracts and uh mm-hmm. it's gonna be a very interesting couple of years.
0: Oh yeah, and and I mean the landscape, just the whole music landscape has changed too. I I can tell you that, you know, since this has happened, I've become an avid um TikTok user, social media user, but you're I'm finding that a lot of artists are utilizing social media to their advantage and it's changing the music industry in the sense that they're able to still record and still produce, you know, some quality music and still, you know, they might not have that live piece, but I've also seen, you know, people like Dave Matthews band performing in his garage, you know, for like live streams and, and, and things like that. And people are watching and this is, and it's free, you know, and it's, it's giving us the opportunity to still connect on a virtual level, which I, I think will continue to happen in some way, shape or form once everything kind of um, the dust settles, as I said.
1: There are silver linings in this. I mean, mm-hmm. things that we, w- we could only do in person in the past, I think, are going to very um, legitimately move to um, online platforms. Mm-hmm. Not so much love the live music making, although there are times now on professional jobs, I would say I want to meet with the players or at least talk to the leaders of the orchestra via telecommunications before I get there so mm-hmm. I can give bowings and markings. That can be done very well, actually, very efficiently, and yeah. that, that'll lead to a better first rehearsal. Um, certainly, um, my giving notes to my coral society, that's a good use. I don't have to drive there to do that. That's actually very valuable. Yeah. And But, you know, there's the community music banking world, we've all been kind of desperately missing, that human-to-human connection. Although, you know, seeing how creative members of the creative community have been has been really inspirational to me to watch people like, like you said, Dave Matthews doing a concert in his garage, and my daughter's going to Seton Hall in the fall studying nursing, and Jason Derulo did a concert from his roof for the yes. kids at
0: Seton Hall. I was like, What? Yeah, it's, it's, it's mind blowing what they're able to accomplish. You know, I'm a big fan of, of NPR and their tiny desk concerts. And, you know, you can watch as many of them on YouTube as possible. And a lot of them were filmed at the NPR offices, but ever since this has happened, it's basically been NPR tiny desk concerts at home. And some of these performers, first of all, their home, if they are recording from their homes, I want to live in their homes because these rooms (laughs) are like massive and there's like acoustic paneling and ambiance and lighting, like it's 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 phenomenal to watch you know these artists still have a platform in using social media and and youtube and things like that in a variety of new ways that they may not have used before since so. the
1: since the kind of cessation of live music uh, everyone is engaged with social media as one of the only ways to transmit our art to people. But mm-hmm. what that's done is that's given us all an incredible way to get that out there. And that's one thing I found out in indie bands I've been having on my show and some of them are with very large audiences. Um, they're able to, a lot of bands have decided to skip the record producer and their, the cuts that they make and to do it themselves. Yep. And I, I see that, especially with the acapella groups that you like, you know, you do you're very into the acapella world. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really doing a great job.
0: Yep. Yeah. I, I, it's like, I know Pentatonix just released their new album of like mostly original music, all actually all original music and it's mind blowing. It is beautiful stuff and it really shows what at least what acapella can become. You know, there are a couple of tracks that have, you know, uh, Kevin, you know, playing cello and, and, you know, there's one track that has a piano in there, but overall, it's really just those five voices making beautiful music and really expanding acapella music into what it can truly become. So, um, and, you know, not for nothing, I just watching even collegiate groups becoming more, um, in tune with, the the recording aspect of it you know varsity vocals who um, i've had amanda newman on here she is the executive director essentially the owner of varsity vocals which puts on the international championship of collegiate acapella international championship of high school acapella so on and so forth they lost out on their finals championship last year they lost out on a lot of competitions and this year the conversation we had with her was you know she decided you know we need to give something to these children these students and put out that a video competition you know so all all these colleges and high school groups from across you know the country are putting together audio and video and one of the stipulations was you have to do it yourselves you know you can't hire somebody to come in and do it for you so a lot of these groups are really learning how to use apps like you know Soundtrap or using Logic or you know Final Cut Pro and all of these different editing softwares, learning it on the fly to really, and that's a new skill that you're oh. learning. You it takes know? a long and time to
1: develop those skills. I know we've, I've had to do quite a bit of that and it's, uh, yeah. but what, a, what a, you know, any way we can keep people singing, it's valuable. Mm-hmm. We need it. You know, we yeah. need to, have, we need to be engaging with music and, and so do all of the choirs and the cappella singers and across the country in every genre.
0: Yep. Now, speaking of acapella, obviously, because it's the Acapella Education Podcast, little side note here. Um, if it wasn't for you, technically, um, I would have never gotten into the acapella group that I was in in college. And so, uh, Jason is actually one of the founding members of the SUNY Potsdam Pointer Counts. Um, which uh, we're actually, we're actually, I mean, it was 1993. It's not that long ago. The Sandlot is just, listen, the Sandlot (laughs) is just as old and it still holds up. Okay. So um, I will say that, um, you know, the group originally was an all male identifying group. And until this year um, the group um, brought in their first uh, female identifying member and they have put together some, Phenomenal music, and uh, really kind, and a lot of groups I've actually seen have have gone away from gender-based voicings to really focusing on, you know, building the best possible group with the best possible voices as possible. Possible, it was. It was really um,
1: a major part of my undergraduate experience, and mm-hmm. um, I love my time at SUNY Potsdam. And I've gotten to go back there a few times. I didn't. I did one of the area all states up in Potsdam. Got to conduct in Hel- the Hosmer Hall. That was a blast. Mm-hmm. And I got the Rising Star Award in 2003, I think. And I was back there for that. And it was just a great day. I have so many memories, and a lot of them are wrapped up in the pointer counts.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, so so are mine. I mean that it's, that became that became a huge joy for me, and. You know, it, it led to the next part of my career. Do you, you know, know how we were founded? And, uh, I believe uh, you actually, it was a group of Phi Mu um, Alpha um, buddies uh, were, I don't know if they were, they were doing barbershop or I'm, I'm trying to we remember started the story, doing, but we, yeah.
1: This is my freshman orientation. I'll never forget this. Um, it was freshman orientation. It was the before we even started classes. And a couple of the Fine You Brothers sang. I think it was Kyle Hayden and Brian Huff would be my big brother, my fraternity, and you off I was I was there then as well. And mm-hmm. a couple of it we just got together and we were harmonizing in the basement of Knowles Hall mm-hmm. because there's beautiful acoustics down there in the locker oh, yeah. room. <laughs> And um, we were joking around that what would be a good name for the group. And I, I think I remember this. Uh, so someone said uh, Speed Queen because that was the name of the dryers. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a good idea. Okay, well, Speed Queen, on the, that was a joke. And, and then and we were thinking counterpoint, pointer count. And I don't remember who actually came up with it, but it wasn't me. But uh, I was one of the high tenors, of course. I was uh, one of those very high voices always. Mm-hmm. Me, Dennis Creighton, and Matt Moulton were the, uh, the uh, original t- tenor ones. Yep, and um, boy, when, when we started singing together, it was just so much fun. You know, the joy mm-hmm. of um, you know, I love singing in choirs. I love conducting orchestras, but there's something about just music, music making with your peers. You yep, know? just student to student, it's um, it becomes like um, not a fraternity, but it becomes a very special social bond.
0: It is definitely together. a brotherhood of sorts. Yeah. And one of the things that I loved about um, the pointer counts, and this can go for all the listeners out there, a part of any acapella group they've ever, you know, been a part of, it's, it's the joy and ability of making music your own, your own. You have this own personal connection. You know, I mean, I love choral music, mm-hmm. I, and, but, you know, you're really tying it to something that someone else has written for you already. Whereas a lot of the arrangements that you know come through. Um, were mostly done by members of their group. You know, nowadays there are a lot of arrangers out there who, you know, for a nominal fee will arrange something for your group, and they do they do a great job too. They really have that. Yeah, consult with you. I mean, um, for what
1: I've seen in the industry, what what you people like yourself are doing is hmm. so much more advanced than what we were doing in terms of like the arranging part of it and the uh, resources, the vocal percussion. I mean, we started that. We, we did. We, there was some of that there, but it's now. I I watch like the groups that I watch now. I'm like, whoa.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's really advanced uh, a lot. Feel, I feel if I went and, you know, went and auditioned again for, you know, the College Acapella group, you know, I don't know if I'd get in this time around. You know, it it really has evolved into something something big, you know, and you know, you, you bring up Brian and Brian, uh, Huff, which is awesome because, you know, I was just on the phone with him the other day and he's looking to do his, he has an annual invitational at his high school that he teaches at. And he's looking to do it uh, virtually this year. So he was like picking my brain about that. And I, I got excited about that. And, you know, Dennis, you know, Dennis is a great friend of mine, you know, Matt, Matty Moe, I don't know. Uh, I know how I was doing. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he was
1: at city Potsdam for like my career, your career, someone else's he was, career. Yeah.
0: He ended up, he, <laughs> (laughs) ended up coming back um but it's it's amazing he was my roommate in college (laughs) wow and and we're we're talking you know there's there's years apart between us but we have those connections partly because of the pointer counts you know that brotherhood remembering those original members guys that were in the group 5 10 15 years later you know it's it's that connections uh, those connections that you make
1: we will never forget some of the recording the first album in the jail that was fun kind of oh, cool great acoustics in the jail they they said <laughs> okay and um i forgot why we did that but that was really cool and um yeah no you never forget these things we we're doing an album with everyone and like how many takes mm-hmm. it took and you know this one messed up this part and we all have to kind of pull it together
0: and you know, not it's- to, not to like age you or anything but i actually do have that album on cassette tape Ups- I need yes. to
1: have a CD as well, though.
0: <laughs> it's actually it's actually upstairs in my bedroom. I have the cassette tape of the very first Pointer Counts album.
1: And if uh, so, my, my my kids, if I showed them, I'm like, "What is that?" I'm like, "That's a CD." <laughs>
0: you you pull it, yeah. you go shoot. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it, that brings me, it brings me to like another point that we've kind of talked about is the the ability to produce music at such a clip, such a quick rate that you know we could record something today, and it could be out there in two hours or by tomorrow, as opposed to, well, you recorded it, you know, these two months, it's going to take about three four months for us to get this and then editing. shipping all of this editing and the shipping costs for CDs and stuff. Everything's digital now that it could be available right away. So I'll, I want to go into the connections portion that we talked about because your podcast really is about bringing those connections together with everybody within the community. And, you know, you and I had a conversation actually before um, the podcast started about how there's so many of us that we were trying to find creative outlets when the pandemic hit, you know, you had mentioned, well, uh, the leaves are raked, you know, like, well, I built a thing in my backyard. That's cool. Well, I, 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 cleaned the garage. It's dirty again, but I cleaned it today. You know, it was, it was project after project, but also, you know, you get a little stir crazy being at home because at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like, you were in fear of going to the grocery store, you know, like we were the, we were the people who used Lysol to like spray down our bags when we got home, you know, and I know a lot of people did that. And, you know, I don't know, again, never understood why there was a toilet paper and paper towel shortage, but there was, you know, those kinds of things all happened. You know, we're talking literally a year ago. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot, still a lot different now, but um, you know, finding those creative outlets. So um had, With the connections that you made with the folks on your podcast, because we essentially started our podcasts around the same time, um, what are some interesting things you have learned about your guests and the connections and the creativity that they have come up with during this time?
1: That the creative creative people, the members of the creative arts community, will find solutions to make art happen. It's Mm -hmm. not about getting paid, which is of course what we need to do, but it's not about that because um, I, I know, I know singers and leads at the Metropolitan Opera who are working landscape jobs. Now they won't <laughs> say it, but they are, right. and they, they, everyone's doing something to get by, you know, luckily I, I'm, I think, I'm very thankful for my teaching position. And, um, and uh, even though I've lost a lot of my income this past year, with a lot of my guests conducting and my other activities, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've been able to maintain through my teaching and my, my organizations I still conduct, Creative people will create. They will find avenues to be creative because it's not just our our avocation. It's our it's our lives, and it's just who we are. And um, you know, whether it's online, there's like mastering online platforms. Whether it's um, you know filming operas and doing them remotely. Whether it's uh, finding ways to uh, connect uh, people on different continents to do recordings. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's limitless possibility. And people have been so creative and so supportive of each other. I think everyone is, I think the entire industry is in the same boat. Mm -hmm. The top and the bottom are the same boat, which is so unusual. I've had met stars on the show. I've had... um, I've had some of the top conductors who I call Maestro. I'm like, Maestro, I can't believe yeah.
0: I'm even talking to you. Yep. I've had I've had a few of those guests on you my have. show too. just When I like, saw you just, had
1: the guy from Take Six, I'm like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, Claude
0: McKnight. When I whoa. interviewed Claude McKnight, I was like, and I even told him like, like, this is like a dream come true. And he's like, Oh, stop. And I was like, No, it really. you really guys a <laughs> legend. <laughs> Holy smokes. I love take yeah.
1: six.
0: <laughs> yep. Oh, it was and it was it was as simple as just sending a message saying, Hey, is this okay? He's like, Yeah, man, let's do it. And I was like, Oh <gasps> You know, like every if you find
1: everyone's in the same boat,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the joke is everyone's got free time.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, they, more or and less. You know, that's that's the basic I understand that I've gotten from a few of my guests too. Is you know everyone's got the time, and you'd be surprised. You know, it's it's giving you the opportunity to connect in a new way and and talk to people that you've never. You know talked with. So and I
1: find that I love the podcast format, which I'd never really engaged with much before COVID, but now I'm mm-hmm. really a big fan of because, you know, an interview on TV is nice. Here are your talking points. Don't stray. Here we can talk about anything. And it's just yeah. a direct conversation between two guys, like we're just having a cup of coffee or a beer, just talking about life. Yeah, exactly. That's, I think, where a lot of the most profound conversations happen.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I, I'm curious as to. In terms of conducting, I know that there are some folks out there, you know, this this whole idea of virtual conducting, um, has, has those opportunities come up, given you the opportunity to conduct a virtual ensemble in some way, shape or form other than your own? Have you been asked, you know, by some of these companies who might approach that? Um, have they given any thought to that? Have you given any thought to virtual conducting and, and workshopping, you know, with, sure, say, okay. a group I'm, from Prague or or whatnot. Or... I'm
1: teaching conducting right this semester to my students. And, um, you know, the, one, the the strangest thing to me is how little screen... You've got to how small you're just, otherwise you're going to, there's the, you can't see the ictus on three. So it's got to be right here. So you have to conduct very small, much smaller than you would in actual practice. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the gesture vocabulary changes. You have to be aware of your beat size. I say beat box, but that's a different thing for acapella yep, uh, yep, yep. choir. So, but um, you know, it, it changes everything. So, you know, not so much. Um, mm-hmm. th- mostly the projects, I'm keeping my communities together, and, um, and I'm just waiting f- to get back to some of the performances and actually the people-to-people the people interaction. The, uh, the, yes. I'm waiting for that to come back before. So my cond- I haven't done a lot of conducting except on my guide tracks, which is fun.
0: Yeah.
1: I must have yeah. 40 pieces out there for the semester between my, three, my two choral societies and my uh, two university ensembles and all that.
0: That's phenomenal. I, I I give you all the credit in the world. You know, I'm I've been working on a few music videos here and there, and it just. And you you said you have your son help you out with all that editing and and, and stuff. He but does that's... more than hell,
1: I think he does most of it. So yeah. you know, I, I like he I sit with him at the end of the he's he's got really good. He's a musician, so he's yeah. a he jazz guitar player. So he's got really good ears, and he's been singing since he's a kid. Mm-hmm. So um you know he knows the basics. He knows like he'll take each individual track, edit it, put them together into sections. I come in, I work the sectional sound, and then we put them together and I, we do the mixing. But I'm sitting next to him, so we kind of get a you know I, this is I want it to sound like the group would actually show you sound more or less. I don't want right. it to sound like an R and album you know, with auto tune. I want it to sound like what they might sound like. Right. So that's what I do. And then, and then we put them together and I tell everyone, every virtual choir projects, like taking a puzzle that you don't have a picture of tossing it on the floor, mixing it up and then trying to put it back together again.
0: Oh yeah. And have you found that um, in terms of your students, cause I've always been curious about this. I know that some people have different experience in terms of this is um, when your students submit recordings and they submit their videos, um, is it evident that they are practicing and and working hard i, I mean i am I'm, I'm not saying i'm not you know, asking you to like throw your students under the bus here but like it it you know you mentioned you don't want it to those, sound auto tuned for those and, who
1: are soloists this is a good time to be doing it for mm-hmm. those who are the, the not the not I, i'm not the like you know for you and me it would probably be great we want to mm-hmm. sing. We are, we're singers. We're musicians. I love to challenge myself and get in there and record them. A lot of my students, are, are they're non-majors. They're um, just general yeah. members of the population. Some of those students are extraordinarily talented. They could be music majors, but they want to be diplo- diplomats or nurses or business people. So, right. But for those who are not as strong singers, this is a very tough time because they don't yeah. like to record themselves. They don't want to listen to themselves as soloists. That's mm-hmm. not why they do choir. So yeah. convincing those students that it's in there, that it, that's been a challenge for all of so throughout the field, yeah. I know numbers are down in everyone's choral societies and everyone's choral programs because the, the personal, like the, the, the social part of the music class, which is in every music class is just a little more difficult. But I have to remind them it's not about being perfect. I don't want right. perfect. I want you to do your best. Just mm-hmm. do your best, you know, yeah, and I, that's good enough for me. And it's not about, you know, we're not not trying to make a, a Boys to Men album or Take Six album. That's a different thing entirely. This is a process, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's a testament to innovation during a unique period.
0: Yep, and you you just said the word, you know, like that's one of the things that I always say. It's not about perfection; it's about the process.
1: Process, yeah.
0: You know, and you know they use it in sports all the time. Trust the process, you know. And it's if I expected perfection on on day one, then we should be out gigging and breaking all the rules, you know, like we have to get there. And, you know, this is conversations that I've had with, you know, many people, not just on this podcast, but just in general conversation is that with this idea of auto-tune and this idea of perfection within the music industry, of course, we're going to become more, more hard on ourselves and become our own worst critics, um, especially for those students who aren't soloists, those students who are doing it because of the camaraderie and the ability to make beautiful music and feel like they're contributing, even though they may not be the strongest, you know, but again, you say, say numbers are And I say for the down. pop
1: stars, you know, turn off their auto tune and take the live mm-hmm. feed and see what it sounds like. It doesn't yes. sound like that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and this was a great debate that we actually had about the Super Bowl halftime show this year with my students, my seventh grade general music students is, you know, a lot of people, and even my, you know, even my friends, my colleagues who are my age were um, very they're very split as, as far as um, the weekend in in his performance for halftime. And like, I give him credit in the, in the sense that he, he didn't auto tune his voice. You know, when he was singing live, you can tell he was singing live, you know, I mean, some of his backing tracks might've been auto tuned to kind of like blend harmonies with him. But in, in reality he was singing live and it was, it was very evident and i think that's that's part of the things that get missed with live performance and one of the things that i also give him credit for is considering the social distancing protocols he had to follow you know he literally relegated himself to one half of the stadium usually all these halftime shows are on the 50 yard line and there's fireworks oh and it's this, insane yeah it's a, you it's know such a spectacle yeah and he he was able to to maintain it all on his own he's not the flashy dancer like Bruno Mars. And, you know, he's not about going above and beyond in terms of what he's going to look like, like say Lady Gaga or even Prince for that matter, you know, he, but you know, it wasn't the greatest halftime show, but it wasn't the worst, but I, I, I give him all the credit in the world for being able to go out there and give us essentially what is the the very first live televised performance in a year. You know, I and I think,
1: any of those performances were live. I thought they pre recorded all of those performances, mm-hmm. at least for many I've, years.
0: I feel like I feel like the national anthem in America, the beautiful, were Oh, then again, the the, uh, the national anthem was very different this year with Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan because Jasmine just riffs like it's her job, and she is just so phenomenal. For, I thought it was a weird mix to begin with, with you know a country star like Eric Church and this R and B superstar like Jasmine Sullivan. But they made it kind of work. But unless you know she was able to remember her her riffs exactly, <laughs> then then I don't know. But um, but I thought her did a great job with America the Beautiful as well. But but yeah, the weekend really really sold that halftime show. And you could tell he was doing it live. And well, I, we yep. want more of that. A
1: lot of these guys yeah. are really good. You just, you know, I, I wish we could hear them more. I, I tell my students, I te- when I teach the music and Civ course, I'm like, you have to hear live artists because mm-hmm. then you can really see what they can do. I like think mm-hmm. I like to play like my um, play folk songs. So we were listening to we were talking about classical music coming from folk music and the roots. And um, we're listening to um, Ed Sheeran sing a song with the guitar, just live, him and the guitar. Yep. And the boy can sing. You know, he's got a yeah. great voice. He really can be very expressive. And, um, and we compared that to like an operatic interpretation of the same song. And we talked about genre and style. And, um, you know, it's just it's just an interesting point of departure that you watch some of these singers sing live. Some of them are really excellent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, I find that some of the the stars that have, that got their start in like YouTube, like artists like Tori Kelly, even Justin Bieber or Shawn Mendes, who were all discovered via YouTube, they were discovered because they can sing. There's talent there, yeah. You know, there's talent there. And when you go see them live, like actually Tori Kelly was just on The Masked Singer earlier this year and blew, blew it out of the water. Like you can tell there's talent there and it's not there to sell records. It's there to... You know, showcase the talent that's there.
1: Well, so. we keep on uh, encouraging that talent and promoting it, and uh, in all its forms. Uh, I'm a, f- a firm believer in that. There's uh, there's you know two genres of music, good and bad. Like you know, <laughs> always get, you know aim for the best of it, and um, you know cultivate the best, and uh, and let it let it
0: rise. And I think you know that's a that's a great spot to to pretty much bring us to our conclusion on the podcast is that when it comes to down to it, it's bringing out the good and bringing out the creativity within us and just continually trying to push ourselves to be better versions of ourselves every day. Right.
1: That's a great lesson for our students. And they, they, they watch everything you do. Mm
0: -hmm. And if they see you doing
1: that, if they see you doing that, they model that. And um, you know, it's to be the best model you can be for your students.
0: Yep. And, and as, as many of us know, the plan may change every day, every, every minute, hour, every hour, <laughs> but yeah. never show that, you know, like you, they all understand that this year is not a, a normal year and we're all going through it in our own ways. And the best thing we can do is support our students and again, have them become the best versions of okay. themselves.
1: Well, keep on, c- c- congratulations on all you're doing here. And, you know, keep on finding those, those ways to meet, that, meet those challenges because it's so important for that genera- next generation who mm-hmm. need to feel love. They need to feel the, the power of music more than ever. And yeah. it, it's ironic that a time when the economic, um, the economic situation is so dire and then the arts are always on the chopping block first, mm-hmm. that's when we need the arts the most right keep the music alive it's yeah. um, it will come back you know there will be live music again mm-hmm. humans are very um very resilient creatures and whether it be the plagues in the middle ages or the holocaust or world war 2 mm-hmm. i've had uh, I've had uh, a musicologist talk about the uh, the return of music after the the Black Death, and I had mm-hmm. a Holocaust survivor that I'm very close with, who's in her 90s, talk about the return of music in Poland because she was in a concentration camp, and then studied musicology and how how wow. society rebounded and how mm-hmm. like there's an outpouring of emotion because people have to engage with the arts. We're going to see that on the other end.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's going to be different, but it, we're going to see it.
0: Absolutely. Jason Tram, it has been an honor to have you on the podcast this week. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, this was a great discussion. And um, if you're interested in anything that uh, Jason had to say this week, uh, his podcast will actually be posted in our episode description. So you can check him out there. And uh, thank you so much. And hopefully you get the opportunity to hear me on his podcast and check out the several other episodes that he has um, on his YouTube channel. So thank you again, Dr. Tram.
1: Thank you, Justin.
0: Uh, We'll be right back. There's no denying the wealth of experience and knowledge that Dr. Jason Tram has. So I'd like to thank him once again for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Be sure to check me out on his podcast, Music Matters, on April 8th. You can subscribe to him on YouTube. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at Aka Ed Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes are released every Wednesday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Acaville Radio, akaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash Podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akavillepodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.